So we um, have been looking at the book of Ruth, the Old Testament book of Ruth, and uh, today we're up to chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses. Last, When last we saw uh, Ruth and Boaz, they had spent uh, that night there in the threshing floor. Boaz had gotten up and um, seen, uh, saw and talked to Ruth, and um, she basically proposed to, uh, to him that uh, he marry her. And so uh, he uh, loads her up with a bunch of food to take back to her mother-in-law, sends her back before anybody else could see her. And uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law's last words were, uh, uh, the man won't rest until he settles the, this matter. And so um, we come now to Ruth chapter 4, where uh, Boaz is going to settle uh, uh, this matter. Now, one of the things that... Um, one of the big things that we need to see about this text in particular today, and really the whole book of Ruth, is um, that we live in a different world from the world of the Bible. And you're, you're about to see that. Because if you were writing this story, what you would have done is you would have had uh, uh, Ruth and Boaz have their little experience there on the threshing floor, and the next scene in the book would have been them getting married and living happily ever after. And so we have this weird scene of this thing about taking sandals off and having witnesses and talking about all this stuff going on in the gates of the city. Now, one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that we, this, this world that we're describing here, it's God's world, uh, but it's different culturally than the way uh, uh, we live and the way we think about our lives. Uh, recently, um, and in, and in fact, one of the things that we're going to do this morning is try to draw some conclusions from what's going on in this world uh, to what's happening in our world. Sometimes you find yourself in a situation culturally um, that's just very different from what you're used to. And um, that's, what, that's what's happening in this text. Um, when we, uh, we, a couple of weeks ago, we were in uh, Florida uh, for uh, my son's wedding, and we rented a house to stay there while we were there to bake cookies and do all the things that we needed to do for the wedding. And um, we were, this is, when I, and I said Florida. So immediately you thought of beaches and pink buildings, right? Okay, this was a log cabin, cypress logs, in the woods, Swamp, marsh of Florida, because that's where he lived. Uh, and we were sitting on the front porch enjoying the evening, and uh, we hear some rustling in the woods next door to the house. And come out of busting out of the woods is a coon hound, something that we run into in the West End all the time. <laughs> ran into our yard, ran up on our porch, sniffed. I gave him something to drink, and he took off, crossed the road, went into the woods, and treed a coon. So I'm like, this dog must be lost. Well, he wasn't lost because shortly thereafter, some gentlemen, and I use that term loosely, <laughs> came busting out of the woods, went through our yard, across the road to what was going on over there. And they took care of business. And they were getting ready to go, and then they're standing in the middle of the road with their truck, uh, cussing a blue streak because 
they can't find the coon hound. He won't come to them. So Tate and I had seen the dog cross back over the other side of the road. So we walked out there. These guys are armed. <laughs> so, so we walked out there to tell them where we had seen the dog go. And so when we got up close to these guys in the dark, uh, you know, uh, must not have good dental work in North Florida. Uh, the words about uh, cigarette smoking must not have gotten there because they both had cigarettes. You know the kind of people that smoke cigarettes, and it seems like the cigarette actually is hanging on their lip right here. Well, they both were like that. And we're like, hey, we know where your dog is. We saw him cross back over the road. And the guy reached into his pocket, pulled out his cell phone, and he looked at it. And he said, I know exactly where that dog is. He's 116 yards that way. (laughs) So Mr. No Teeth and cigarette hanging out of his mouth had a GPS tracker on his dog. <laughs> so I began to realize, you know, we're not in the West End of Richmond here, are we? And this is, this is a different, just a completely different uh, uh, sort of experience. Well, that's what you're going to run into this morning when we read this text. Um, and we're going to learn a lot, actually, about the character of God as we look at this kind of funny ceremony that takes place here in the city gates between Boaz, uh, an unnamed individual, and uh, the elders of the city. So let me read to you now this text uh, from Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, this is the closer relative to uh, to Naomi than, than Boaz is, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this is another, what's about to be described here is another way that you know uh, that you're not, um, that this is a very different culture from the one you live in. Now, this was the custom in former, former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the matter, manner of attesting in Israel. So, you know, that's quite unusual that a business transaction gets done by one guy taking his shoe off and handing it to the other one, right? Uh, But one of the advantages of that is, as opposed to the way we do many of our business deals now, is you actually see the person and you talk to them and you could touch them. 
it's a little more communal than the way we tend to conduct business uh, today, right? So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you're witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Machlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Machlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You're witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So um, a, a couple of things. Uh, go ahead and put my notes up there, Megan. So one of, the th- one of the ways that we know that we are living in a different place and a different time and a different age is the story in this book. One of the things that we note about it is this whole emphasis uh, in the middle part of the book about gleaning, that this is the way people cared for uh, the poor. Uh, it's totally... Uh, uh, alien to us. It's a way, uh, it's, it's, it's very relational, it's very work-oriented, and uh, it's very community-oriented, right? We also know one of the things that's strange about this is, is this gathering in the city gates where where uh, Boaz goes, and he knows this is where people are going to come and go, and this is where business is transacted. This is where legal things happen. This is where uh, the community witnesses to what's going on. And one of the things that you have to see about the character of Boaz in this is that Boaz submits, right? He goes there to the city gate. He's a powerful and important man, but he submits to to what's going on there, and he puts himself under the uh, authority of of uh, uh, of the elders of the city. Thirdly, we this whole concept of leveret marriage, and let me just explain to you what what's going on here and what why this is uh, so uh, such an important part of the story. In Israel, in ancient Israel, if you were married uh, as a man to a woman, and uh, you don't have any children. And the man dies, his nearest male relative is responsible to take that woman into his household and provide for her. And one of the ways that he provides for her is uh, he marries her, she gets pregnant, and she has children. There you go, <laughs> right? Uh, quite an interesting way of providing for widows, right? But but one of the things that you have to to, to see about that is that that's that's that there's there's mercy in that certainly for uh, um, uh, the widow and and certainly for her household. But more than that, what you have to see here is is that God is making sure through that process, and as we see in this story, that no one gets overlooked. Now. I want you to I want you to understand this today because we overlook people all the time. One of the things that I know about us, one of the things that I know about people is, and, and I see this happen all the time, is people will will come to worship, and uh, they look around the room and they look for people who look like them, and they don't see anybody who doesn't look like them. Uh, and, and 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 in fact, they're not looking for that. 
And so one of the things that happens to us all the time is we overlook people uh, who are around us. We overlook people who who may not seem interesting to us, who may not seem uh, like us, who may not be uh, like like that at all. And, and so we overlook people all the time. Well, what this text tells us and what this story shows us is, is that God overlooks no one. And in fact, what you think the story is about uh, what you think and I think and with our 2017 sensibilities is it's a love story. Right. It's so romantic. The old guy. Who's rich, but good. Takes on the new girl in town who's young and beautiful and desirable. And so it's this beautiful, beautiful love story. You can hear the music swelling and you can see um, Ruth pushing Boaz off in his wheelchair as <laughs> to their to their wedding. Right. It's funny. We, we think that's what it's about. That's not what this story's about at all. We're told twice in this, in this paragraph what this book is about, what it's really about. And what it's really about is this. Um, so that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his, among his brethren and from the gate of his native place. What? What does that have to do with anything? This whole story is about the protection of Elimelech, his dead sons, and the fact that through all of this machination and all of these things that are going on here, it's not just that Ruth gets cared for, and it's not just that Naomi gets cared for, it's that, that God does not even overlook the dead in providing for them a means that their name might be carried on. Because that's what's happening here. And so, so when we, when we hear this and we see this, it is, it's so bizarre. So, uh, one of the things that we did for, for my daughter-in-law when she was here over Thanksgiving is, you know, we told her that one of the things that she needed to learn about us was the kind of movies that we liked. And so we made her sit down and watch the whole uh, Godfather Chronicle, the one that's put together, the one that's put together, you know, of, of all three of them that does it chronologically, you know, because, like, if you want to understand the Shelby's, you need to watch the Godfather. Strictly business. But what, 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 uh, what, what I told her was, now you think this movie is about the mafia. It is not about the mafia. It's about fathers and sons. That's what it's about families and, and, and how families work through generations. I said, you, so you need to watch this because this will help you, this will help you a lot understand, uh, how we operate in this family. I, I, but, uh, the, well, actually why, why we liked it, right? Well, that's exactly what's going on here. One of the things that you have to see about this story is, is that God is saying to us through all of this, not only is, does he care for the living? Not only is he aware of and mindful of those of us who are in the throes of life, but the redeeming work of Jesus Christ transcends life and death. 
that it goes beyond that, that the grace of God, the power of God, the work of Jesus Christ, the atonement that he does for us is something that the redemption that he has for us extends way beyond the boundaries that we which we think are normal. And so what this whole story is about, now there's a love story here and there's caring for widows here and there's mercy here. But in the end, all of these things are pointed toward protecting the name and the inheritance and providing for a dead man so that his name does not disappear from his ancestral homeland. So, so as we look at this, that's one of the things that you have to see that, that, that is, is so profound about this. And one of the ways that the writer here, one of the literary devices that he uses to convince us and to show us that this, that this preservation of names is important is look at how the names are, are talked about in this text. We, we hear about Elimelech and we hear about Machlon and Kilion. We hear about Naomi. We hear about Boaz. We get, we get all of these names. We, we hear Ruth identified as, as the Moabite woman, and we hear her identified as the widow of Machlon and Kilion, of, 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 of one of Elimelech's sons. And so as we see this and as we unpack this, th- these names kind of jump off the, the text for us. But there's one person in this story who's unnamed. Now, the ESV mistranslates it here when it says, uh, Behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by, and Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. He doesn't call him friend. Literally, he says, so-and-so. Hey, so-and-so, come over here and sit down, and let's talk some business. So-and-so, really. Uh, and it's interesting, right? Because what we see here is, is that God is interested in, in Elimelech and Machlon and Kilian. We're not that interested in them. They're dead for most of the story. So we're, we're, we're just interested in, in, in Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, right? Because they seem cool and interesting and, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, but really what's going on here is, uh, God is showing us and the writer here is showing us what the story is really about and what God sees and what he's concerned about. And so we have this man who shows up who's kind of a weird twist in the story because actually he's the first one with the right to redeem uh, this property, to buy this property, and therefore to take on the full inheritance of Elimelech, which would mean uh, taking on Ruth as well and then providing a child. He's never named the one who shall remain nameless, Mr. So-and-so, Right? And so there's, I think there's a message in that for us about, uh, uh, about uh, who God's interested in and who he's not interested in. And it's not that this guy's particularly a, a bad person, but the fact is when it comes down to it, the recognition that he, he simply calculates, this is a good deal for me. You know, I could take on Naomi for a little bit and she'll die, uh, uh, but the cost of the land will be reimbursed to me because over time the land will produce enough produce that I will make more than what the redemption cost of it is to me and what little it costs me to take care of Naomi. And Boaz says, well, if you take this on, if you buy this, you got to marry Ruth and you got to provide a child. Now, what does that mean? Because what that means is when he marries Ruth, this land that he just redeemed is not his, but actually that child's who's born. 
So so you would be spending money. You would be purchasing something for someone else. You'd be spending your hard earned money. For a child that's not even here yet so that a dead ancestor's name could get carried on. So he's like, you know what? That that's that's going to threaten my inheritance because I'm going to have to use the, the 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 land and the money that I already have to prop this up until I can get rid of it and turn it over uh, to Ruth and her child. So Mr. So and so does a calculus and says, "That's not for me, Boaz. You do it." Now, one of the things that you have to understand about this is is that Boaz does not calculate. He just loves. Remember when Naomi said, he's not going to rest until he settles this matter. Well, he is busy even now settling this matter. And it does not matter to him that it's going to be costly to him. It does not matter to him that this purchase is actually not for him, but is actually uh, 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 the, the property here is actually going to go to one of his kids. Now, we read this, and we read this with 2017 sensibilities, and we think Ruth is the catch, and Boaz is at best a sugar daddy. Right? By the way, did you know that there are more sugar daddies and sugar babies in Richmond per capita than any other city in America? If you don't know what that is, look it up. And be disturbed because this is a disturbing trend, particularly uh, with our college girls at VCU. Um, but this is one of the things that we read about this and we think that's the way it is. Well, in fact, in this culture and in this story, Ruth is no catch. One of the reasons why probably that uh, she's not attractive to the first redeemer who comes along is not only are there financial liabilities, but their cultural liabilities. She's a foreigner. Not only is she a foreigner, a Moabitess, uh, someone from Moab, Moab is considered uh, uh, an enemy. And so you think, oh, that is so terrible. You know, people back then were so discriminatory. Right. I can tell you right now, in your mind, if you're a parent, you have an idea of someone or a type of person that if your son or daughter brought them home and said, this is whom I'm marrying, you would say unacceptable. Just because of the kind of person they are. Right. I I do that. I've got I've got that list in my mind of people like, "Mm -mm." you know, I tell myself. Just bring home somebody who loves Jesus. And then I'm like, somebody who loves Jesus and loves football and likes me and votes the way I vote and thinks the way I think and will raise my grandchildren exactly the way I demand that they be raised. And Right? <laughs> right? I don't have a long list. It's just a couple of pages. So, uh, Right? So she's she's a foreigner. But not only that, uh, you know, the whole point of this arrangement is so that she'll have a child. Well, we know that she was married before and she was married for quite a long time and she never conceived. So we're we're, you know, is she that great a catch? Probably not. 
And there are rabbinic commentaries that were written uh, a long time ago about this is that, you know, the fact is her first husband died an untimely death. Maybe she's bad news and you might marry her and you might die. So she's hardly a catch, at least in this in this cultural uh, uh, situation. And so what Boaz is doing here is he's taking a big risk. He's not and it's not a calculated risk. He's he's ready and willing to spend whatever it takes to bring this woman into his home and to provide a child for her. One of the things that you have to see about this is, is so that love does not calculate. And one of the ways you can tell whether you love somebody else or whether somebody loves you is how much calculation goes into their love and their care for you. Um, one of the worst things about our culture is that we talk about investing in relationships. I wish that was banned from our vocabulary. Honestly. Honestly. Investing in a relationship, expecting a payoff. I don't know what kind of relationship that is, but it's not love. Because love doesn't calculate. I mean, honestly. Do you think Jesus looked at you and thought of the payoff? <laughs> Really? 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 Secondly, love bears past, present, and future costs, right? So so Ruth has a past. Boaz has a past. And when they come together, those things don't matter. Well, they matter, but they don't influence the decision to love. And though Boaz looks at her, and this is this is kind of the trajectory of the way many of our relationships go, right? We 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 come to one another and we have a past, but you know what? That past doesn't matter because the future is so wonderful. We look at we look at Ruth and 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 and, and Boaz's whole initial attraction to Ruth is not that she's young and not that she's beautiful. We don't we don't even know that, but that she's faithful to her mother-in-law, to bitter Naomi, and that he, she cares for for. For her. And so, so on that basis, Boaz is ready to begin this process of redeeming her and marrying her and taking her into uh, his family, right? But, but not, what's it gonna cost in the future? What, what, what is, what, what's, what's this gonna cost, right? Because, because the cost of this redemption is gonna be ongoing. He's going to buy this piece of property. He's gonna take Ruth and therefore Naomi into his household. And, and when, when, uh, he dies, this child that he's gonna have will inherit something that he bought. That that piece of property will never actually be his. And in fact, really, if you wanna get technical about it, He's buying it so that Naomi can keep it. So, so as, as we look at this, one of the things you have to see about that is, is that, that Boaz has no real ultimate concern about the future. You know, one of the things that is so stunning to me about, uh, about marriages, about weddings is that when, and I was thinking about this profoundly when my, when my son took his marriage vows is, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't know. You're making a promise on the future based on what you see right now. And who knows what tomorrow is going to be like. You will be fat and bald. I know it. (laughs) 
I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, do you know what you're doing by marrying this guy? Really? Really? He's going to change and not for the good. Right? <laughs> so, so the, so the fact is what, what love sees here is, is understands that the, the cost of redemption and the cost of, of being in this relationship is not just a one-time cost, but it's an ongoing cost. Listen, the gospel is that way for us. Jesus atones for our sins with a once and for all act upon the cross for us. But listen, that redemption doesn't just stop there. The redeeming power of the cross of Jesus Christ goes on into our future. It goes on and on and on. It is available and real and powerful to us every single day. And so this redemption, this cost that is paid here, Jesus continues to pay the cost of redeeming you, of drawing you to him, to, to, uh, 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 holding you, of owning you, of taking you to glory. And so regardless of what, 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 what may happen, what may come your way, Jesus has tied himself to you regardless. Regardless. You belong to him. He belongs to you. He's redeemed you. And, and no cost is too great for him to see you through. And lastly, when we see love, particularly redeeming love, it calls forth blessing. Because these these elders, as they gather there and as the transaction's completed, they say, we're witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Suddenly, this girl who lost her husband, who's from Moab, who wandered to Israel with uh, her mother-in-law, is going to be a matriarch like Rachel and Leah, like the mothers of the nation, right? Because of the profound grace and because of the profound redemption that's happening here, Ruth's whole history, her her whole trajectory of her life has changed. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. That refers to a story in Genesis of leveret marriage that's not nearly as happy as this one, frankly, and not, not, not nearly as, as, as positive an ending as, as this one is. But what happens here is because of redeeming love, because of the cost that's born, because of Boaz's willingness to do that, we see that it calls for declarations of blessing. You see, one of the things that you have to understand about the nature of grace, the nature of redemption, the, the, the way in which this, this works is, it, it's a powerful, uh, it's just a powerful thing. It attracts our eyes. It attracts our attention. And no one, no one can say an ill word against the redeeming love that takes the, the, those who are needy and broken and draws them to relationship, saves them, provides for them, sees to their future, and forgives their past. You see, one of the things that we have to, one of the things that this has, has struck me this week is, as someone who is redeemed, as someone who has a kinsman redeemer, a strong kinsman redeemer in Jesus Christ, I spend a lot of my time acting as if there's no blessing in that that there's no joy in that, that there's no satisfaction in that. 
And yet what we see and what calls, what, what this redeeming love calls forth is a declaration of blessing, of the favor of God upon those who've been redeemed and in turn demonstrate that redemption to others. Listen, listen, you have a kinsman redeemer in Jesus Christ who didn't just die on the cross, didn't just rise again, and didn't just ascend into heaven, and he's sitting around waiting for you to get there. His redemption impacts every moment of every day of your life. But more than that, every day of your existence. God does not overlook even the dead and provides redemption for them. That's our hope. That's our joy. That's our destiny. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you today and we need uh, uh, to be reminded again of how good and profound and powerful it is that you are a redeemer. Lord, help us uh, to, um, well, just to take you at your word, to see you for who you are, to exult and be glad in the fact that you uh, don't overlook us, but you see us. You don't calculate the cost of your love. You just spend it and you draw us, you redeem us, and you continue that work in our lives forever and ever. Lord, help uh, encourage us with that today. Lord, there are those of us who, who are here this morning who, um, though we uh, have been redeemed, have no sense of blessing in that redemption. I pray that you would uh, warm our hearts, that you would soften us, and that you would move us by seeing the deep love, uh, the costly love, Uh, that's involved in redeeming folks like us. So bless us, we pray. Give us joy. Give us satisfaction in you. Um, Help us to appreciate uh, and uh, appropriate the great redeeming work of Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.